10? It's episode 10 already. What are, are you talking? sure? I'm, you know I ain't sure. But I I highly suspect it's episode number 10. And I'm so proud. And I know that you know Zimmy is very disappointed with the irregularity of our releasing episodes, us showing up late to record. Zimmy is very type A and we're giving her all the type B energy. Uh, very Pisces energy over here. <laughs> Zimmy is the glue that's holding this whole thing together. So shout out to Zimmy um, and Zimmy's patience and understanding and support. Thank you, Zimmy. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Wow. Just for today, y'all, we're going to tackle this topic of cisgender, transgender, agender, non-binary. We're going to get into it. We're going to talk about ain't I cis? Mm. Before we get into all of that, Bidami, can you start us off with your Dusty of the Day? Of course. Who are we dragging today? Well... Of course, because today's episode was Ain't I Sis, we had to drag Macy Gray. We had to. I'm sorry. We had to do it. <laughs> we had to do it, ma'am. Macy Gray, when I was at Pierce Morgan, and a lot of us know her for her hit, I Tried. That's one I of my songs. Say goodbye. Yes, ma'am. So Macy Gray went on Pierce Morgan and she said, just because you're going to change your parts doesn't mean that you're a woman. And I beg to differ because we out here getting plastic surgery every day, enhancing these titties, hello, lifting these booties, hello. tightening these tummies, <laughs> snatching these waists. So, I mean, I just... Raising these belly buttons to be right looking unnatural, but that's none of my business. Hello, getting these <laughs> knees done. So I just, I don't know. And so it, it was very bioessentialist. It very much gave me, thankfully my mom isn't like this, but some people's moms that I know are like this. And it just, it was horrible to hear a woman who I admire, not only because of that hit song, but also because of her role in Four Colored Girls. I don't know if y'all remembered, but Macy Gray was in that movie. And she played this kind of like dark, twisted character who did that kind of like home abortion. But still, even the character that she embodied was a character that I felt like a lot of Black women could relate to. There's always like that woman in the community who you can go to for anything, even if it's not things that are generally acceptable by the larger community. So it's just, I don't know. It felt like a really powerful role to me. Um, and just there's other things that she's done as well. So that for me, that's my dusty of the day. I can't believe Macy Gray went on live television on Pierce Morgan of all people, class A misogynist and racist, anti-black as fuck. I just, yeah, it was horrible. I want to add in a couple because Macy Gray is really just a raspy voice stand in <laughs> for turfs, right? Trans, <laughs> exclusionary, radical. Feminist. Well, actually, I don't know if Macy Gray's a turf, but I know J.K. Rawlings is definitely a turf. Um, that she is. Those, these are women who identify as feminists, like me and my homegirls, Asia and B to me. But they exclude trans women from the struggle. They are transphobic. They treat trans women the same way that cis men treat cis women. 
But for some reason, that completely goes over their heads. And so the Macy Grays of the world, the JK Rawlings, all you turfs, you known and unknown turfs, like <laughs> all y'all are dusty as fuck. Tools of patriarchy, tools of misogynoir. And I'm not going to drag you the way we do the men, but hopefully after this episode, you'll learn to do better. <laughs> dusty bitches. You know what I love though? Like I love that as badly as y'all deserve to be dragged, I love that all the grace that black men wish they got from us in particular, like we don't give it to them. We hand it over to black non-men and they can't really quite understand why we're so committed to doing that. They want all the grace for their transphobia, their queerphobia, their misogyny. And we're like, nope. We have a certain amount of grace that we reserve for especially cisgender Black women who just cannot get it together. And y'all are out here embarrassing us every day, looking like the white women of the Black community. It's pretty Mm. painful. (laughs) We wish y'all would stop, but because y'all won't, the dragging will continue until the nonsense ceases. And y'all don't don't be out here taking advantage of the grace either. I see y'all. I see how y'all really be trying to push to get a little bit more of the transphobia in every day. Y'all take the fact that we enjoy you, we enjoy your company, we support you, we love on you. Y'all take that as an opportunity to really let your transphobic uh, flags fly. And we're just, mm -mm. we see you. The grace will run out. Don't don't think that the grace extends in in perpetuity because it doesn't. Yeah, now that they've been thoroughly addressed, I believe, and threatened. Are you not in Barra? <laughs> <laughs> Are you not in Barra to be a turf in 2022? <laughs> no, for real, though. And I don't know if Black women who do that shit, how do you not see, you don't hear yourself when you're speaking? Like, is it not reminiscent of shit people also used to throw at you and try to invalidate? We're going to help them overstand and understand today. Third eye, third eye, third <laughs> We're going to help them third, third eye understand how that <laughs> shit they're doing is really the same shit and language that people weaponize against your ditzy ass. We'll get into all that. <laughs> not <So>. ditzy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's a barazing, but... Barazing. I really want us to, like, maybe get into transphobia but before we do that i want us to give people a lay of the land of who we are how we identify in terms of our gender identity really briefly so we can so people understand the perspective or point of view that we're coming from entering into this conversation i really love that setup zimmy i really am grateful for our opportunity to use our platform to talk more openly about gender identity because a lot of people get a lot of things twisted and the way we show up isn't always necessarily the way we identify. Beating me, did you or Zimmy, did you want to go first? I can go first. I don't Since know. Since you was crying about it on the list. Ah. <laughs> so we're not going to rehash old issues. Like Zimmy, obviously an enemy of progress. You see what I'm talking Ooh. about? Um, so for me, okay. So I definitely, I identify as a woman. Now, my idea of womanhood is probably, like, very different from what most people's idea of womanhood is. I don't necessarily know if I identify as being straight. Like, I am who, I am what most people would call suspect. Suspect. (laughs) DL. 
<laughs> we will have to have an episode about the DL women of the black community. Ooh, you Jesus know, Christ. So, but I'm open about my suspect activities. And I, so I don't know necessarily where I fall in terms of identifying as being one sexuality or the other, but I know that I am at a point in my life right now where I don't care what you identify as. If I like you, I like you. If you're a cool individual and you're a good person, then I want to be around you because good people are few and far in between. So that's where I'm at at the moment. So once again, I identify as suspect. I don't know if I identify as DL. There is Definitely. no S in LGBTQIA. <laughs> There's no S. Well, to me, that's, what is your, but what was your gender identity? Did you say what your gender identity was? Yeah, I'm a cisgendered woman. Got yes. Okay. You want me to go Asia or you want to go? Mm-hmm. Well... This is going to come as no shocker (laughs) to any of the listeners. I do identify as cisgender. Honestly, I would say, and don't take this the wrong way, but I would say almost luckily, right? Because I didn't have to grow up in a world where people didn't understand my gender identity. Like I had the privilege. That's literally what it is. Even though people will die on a hill, it's not a privilege, but it is a privilege to move through the world and move through spaces where people affirm your chosen gender identity. I grew up in a way I was privileged because that is how I always identified so I get to move through the world and people around me affirm and uphold my gender identity. What about you? And I guess if we're also talking about sexuality, I would identify as heterosexual, even though it stays on the spectrum. Asia? We're going to have to talk about that spectrum. Okay. The spectrum? <laughs> I think I'm like on the penis-loving end of the spectrum. She says head as fuck, as somebody <laughs> once told us. Woo! And they thought it was slander. You're cishet as fuck. And I was like, I kind of am. I don't know. I just want to be the first one to tell you that girls can have penises. So we'll get back to that. We'll table that. We'll table that. We'll come back to that. See, like most black women can identify with this experience of failing femininity, like not showing up, being the right kind of woman. And my body, my breast being too big, my body being too, my body's just wrong for what femininity is supposed to look like. The color, the shape, the size, the uh, where the fat is distributed, okay? It's just all wrong as far as everybody in my life was concerned. I always got teased about what my body looked like. And at some point during middle school, I decided that I just wasn't going to deal with my body. I was going to put on these clothes that my mom bought for me, which I hated, and throw a sweatshirt on top of it and just not have to deal with and show up in the form that I was in. And I lived in my sweatshirt for all of sixth grade, uh, most of seventh grade, until I I started hanging out with a different crowd of people who were okay with not being okay with not showing up the way they were expected or told to show up. And we didn't have this language of non-binary. I knew the term queer, but at that time, queer was a dirty word. It was a bad word. But now at this age, I very much love the term queer because it just leaves me so much room uh, to be wherever I'm at. 
and my ideas and my understanding of myself are always growing and progressing. I really don't like the feel of like static categories because I just feel like I hate to have to sit across from someone and explain why my identity or the term I'm using to describe myself isn't the same as it was yesterday. And I hate feeling invalidated because I've grown in knowledge and self-discovery. It feels really terrible. So I always really gravitated toward queerness once I learned that word in a certain context. Once I heard Black, revolutionarily-minded people using the word queer, it felt really good to me. And it felt like it gave me a lot of space. So I really gravitate toward queerness, especially around gender identity. So if I had to say, I would say I identify as genderqueer. The other thing that is really important to explain is that regardless of my genderqueer identity, when I move through space in the world, I am read as a Black woman. And those categories have their own particular significance that I because of those experiences, I can relate to and I can show up in conversations with other Black women and communicate to them about Black womanhood. But there comes a point in the conversation where I want to talk about this queerness, where I want to talk about failing gender, where I want to talk about moments of wanting to hide and get out of my body and not wanting to live in my body that not every Black woman can relate to. And so I'm like, oh, that's the queerness, right? That's the queer part. So... Genderqueer sounds really good and feels really good to me. But again, in spaces with Black women who can relate to what happens to you when you show up in a certain form, when you show up in a certain capacity, all the kind of compounding, the layers of violences, the layers of assumptions, the layers of, I've been using that word captivity a lot, that kind of wrap you up and constrict you. I can definitely relate to all of that. It's just another part of my experience in my body that has to do with not wanting to be in my body that I find more in common with trans folk. I find more in common with genderqueer folk. They totally can understand and relate to having to make peace with your body every single day. Question, Asia. Oh, go ahead. So one of the first things that you said was that you, you said you part of how you came to understand your gender was around this idea of failing femininity. And particularly because I think you talked about your body and growing up as a child and feeling like you were failing from the femininity and you didn't quite fit. And so just for me, I'm thinking as a Black woman who also maybe to the outside world fails quote unquote femininity in certain ways, right? Like showing up as a six foot tall Black woman <laughs> the short tapered haircut, right? So they're there is this element of like externally failing femininity, but it would appear to me from listening to you that identifying as gender queer or trans is about more than that. Because even though the outside world may have seen me as failing quote unquote femininity, I never really had any kind of like yes. internal struggle. Yes. I wanted you to like parse that out, like the difference between like, because black women in general, ooh, we'll get into this and the girls will be mad. Black women in general fail femininity. Right. Yeah, that's something that's a little bit different from identifying as gender queer or trans, because one is about this external assessment of you, and the other is about both the external assessment of you and the like internal tension. Does that make sense? Yes, and season me. This is why you my smart friend because you caught that. You pick up on the nuance like nobody I know, and you're correct. The nuance is my rejection. I reject the womanhood that's given to me purposefully, intentionally, 
politically. I say no. And I reject this notion of the form I need to show up in to be feminine and to be woman. And even when I show up in, in my body, that is not the way it's supposed to be. In my wrong body, I still show up and I do a thing with womanhood unlike the thing I'm supposed to do. And it's the critical way that I engage with gender identity that makes me different than any other Black woman who shows up and feels femininity by virtue of her Blackness, who feels womanhood by virtue of her Blackness. It's actually an identity because it's me looking out at the world and saying no. <laughs> that mm-hmm. I see you looking at me and I see you prescribing for me all the ways you want me to or think I should. I see all the political apparatuses and institutional mandates that I have to check this box, I have to show up in this way. And every time I have to check it and every time I have to engage with it, I say, no, I feel no. A no is in me and comes out of me. And that's the thing. That's the thing that you can't see. So that's why it's so inappropriate to assume a gender identity based on what somebody looks like and shows up as. That's what's so violent about it, right? That's what's so violent about going into a store and it's a men's section and a woman's section. That's what's so violent, right? The ways that we compress people and force people to conform in order to be a participant in society. There are those of us who say, no, I reject that. And in that, there's a queerness. Mm. Okay. Does that answer your question? It does. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I didn't know how much, like, for you all, Be To Me in Asia, we want to get into, because that was like a deep, heavy statement, I'm sure, for some Black women. This idea that just by showing up as a Black woman, you feel femininity. Can we talk about that? I know, because I know a lot of Black (laughs) women are like... that leads into transphobia. So before we get to transphobia, let's talk about Black women's complicated relationship with womanhood and femininity. Yes. Um, ooh, Zemi, that's a heavy one, right? Because not every Black woman would appreciate this idea that they feel gender. And I really want to hold space for them. Zemi doesn't look at me. Fuck y'all, you face. No, I'm not going to hold you, Asia. Like, I'm tired of holding space for them. Like in 2022, no, for as a Black woman in 2022, with everything that's been going on, you really still think that you're supposed to be performing femininity in a certain way. We got to, come on, bro. Like, no. We got to know. Like, we got to get that. We got to get that. I think it's important because, B to me, this is how people have spent their entire lives being socialized. Yeah, right. but the thing about it is that we like every single day we come into contact and come across people who have conversations about the way that black women are under attack, the way that feminism portrayed by black wo- women has always constantly been under attack. So the thing is it's not a new idea. It's not like it's something that people have to be introduced to. It's something we're very familiar with, but it's almost like just admitting that what we what you just said that just showing up as a black woman means you felt femininity. Why is that such a hard thing to do? Why can't we get past that? I think Knowing what we know, extremely hard thing to do. I think one, we all don't know the same thing, right? Like you're entering this conversation, meeting me with a whole lot of like reference point and like theoretical knowledge and books that have been read that like 99.99% of people are not. So I think it's easy on this side of it to be like, you talk about A, I'm talking about C, how do you not see the connection? You see the connection because you've 
read all the work that literally lays out the map for you. I was not thinking about what it meant to be gendered or fail gender eight years ago. I don't know that it's as simple as you're making it out to be like, Black women are under attack. Why don't you get that it's related to failing womanhood and femininity? I don't know that there are many people who are drawing that very clear distinction if you're not moving in these in the spaces where you're constantly having these conversations, to be fair. I hear that. But I will also say that some of the reasons that I feel this way, it came before I had the language. Like part of the reason why I don't like this thing that people try to push on Black women is because it's like, it's the reason why when I was growing up, the Black women in my life always had critiques for me, like about the way that my body looked, about the way that I presented myself about my ability to attract a man and be married, all these other things. Like, so even before I did the reading, I had the language, I knew my femininity was under attack because I was made to feel very uncomfortable just by being myself. Like going through puberty was the most uncomfortable thing because I had all these Black women in my life telling me about how I basically wasn't doing it the right way. My, my boobs were too big. My butt was too big. I was too curvy. I was too this. I was too... That's what I'm saying. It's there. Like, it's already yeah, there. Me, that's still a jump. Like, it's there, right? The experience is there. But what we're talking about in this episode, and let's make these larger connection. Firsthand, people's experiences and what they're able to connect it to about a larger project or structures do not go hand in hand. People will literally be in the midst of experiencing something and be like... I don't get what you mean. It's <laughs> racist. I mean, we be having arguments with people about whether or not rap music destroyed the black community. Like people can literally have an experience and make zero connection to a deeper structural issue or a larger project. And I, to be, this is my opinion. Well, no, it's not my opinion. I think that most people aren't having these conversations. So I do think that for this episode of the conversation we're trying to have, I think that this is a different type of conversation than the conversations that they're used to. And I, I want to create, I'm with Asia and that I think it's important to have grace and space for people to make these connections. I'm so happy for y'all. <laughs> That's why I'm happy that people like y'all exist in the world. I really am. Well, be to me, you would find favor with the gender abolitionists. Because generally speaking, they tend to be very militantly driven and focused and in their application of these ideas, they believe that withholding grace generally, and I'm not can't speak for every gender abolitionist, but they believe that withholding that grace is essential to seeing the end of gender. So they confront people on their adherence to gender norms and bioessentialism in particular really ferociously. And I stand on the bioessentialist lane. Be- maybe it's because I'm a scientist, but I really don't like people using biology to support their ideas of gender. Asia, can you define that really quickly? Like, I'm gonna make y'all do that a lot. <laughs> so what bioessentialism is? What is bioessentialism? Look, we gotta look it out for people. We, have, we can't have our conversation and assume that everybody's in on our conversation. So what's bioessentialism? So bioessentialism is essentially the relationship between gender identity and biological sex. 
Uh, that's not to say that how people show up in their very corporeality, in their skin, in their physiology, in their anatomy, that they don't find some consistency or some continuity with gender roles that have been ascribed around certain biological functions, right? I'm a woman because I get my period every month. I'm a woman because I have breasts. I'm a woman because I have a uterus and a cervix and ovaries. Or I'm still a woman if I have none of those things. If I lose my breasts because I have mutations in my BRCA1 or my BRCA2 genes. I said, doctors, you can take the breasts, you can take the uterus, you can take the cervix because I want to live. And those people who still fight for that category woman because they're like, I have this history. I have this development that's fundamentally and uniquely quote unquote woman. And I want to hold and maintain my space in womanhood. Well, that's still biologically essentialist, right? That you're still coalescing this gender identity around what your biology may have been at one point in time. The reality being that all women will lose the function of their their menstrual cycles. All women will lose the capacity to carry healthy ovaries and children to term. Like we all lose that at a certain period of time. So that is the prison of biological essentialism where you can't even say what's really true about yourself, your body, your anatomy, your physiology, because you're so entrenched in this belief that you need to find something concrete to distinguish yourself from men and manhood and manliness, to protect your femininity, your status within the realm of the women. So I hope that's not too deep, but I just hope it gives people an idea that biological essentialism isn't only about defining your anatomy, physiology, biology in terms of a gender identity. It's also defining it against another category and without really answering the political questions of why is it that you want to be separate and apart from the category man, which is something that the cisgendered, vehement biological essentialist could never answer. <laughs> So two things. One, I think it's important that we make sure there's some grace and space in the conversation. We just gonna have the mute be to me when she's dragging y'all. Grace! Shout out to Grace and her homegirls. To who and their homegirls? Oh, Grace and her (laughs) homegirls. No, and don't get me wrong, I have Grace. I do have Grace. It's just when you show me that there's no need for me to have Grace for you anymore... Well, we don't know that the audience has shown that. We actually I didn't say I didn't say the audience did. I like y'all are cool. I'm talking about these people who be out here showing their ass on these public platforms. I like y'all. There's a lot of y'all. So now that we've gotten some of that out the way, we've talked about our gender identity, how we define our gender identity, where we position ourselves, where we see ourselves in terms of gender. I want us to get to the meat and potatoes. And we've even talked about biological essentialism, right? Which has a lot of the girls in a chokehold. This idea that I am a woman because of biology. My uterus makes me a woman. My vulva makes me a woman. I want us to talk about this central tension that has existed for quite some time between cisgendered and transgendered Black women. And just two quick definitions Cisgender just means that you identify with the gender you were assigned at birth. Transgender means you do not identify with the gender that you were assigned at birth, right? Because people get to choose 
their genders because gender is a social construct. It's not <laughs> biologically fixed, but this is not. What do you mean, Zimmy? Sociology of Gender 101. So we're so not going to hit you all with the PowerPoint fake. about gender. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking about Black women because and we are for Black women, by Black women, made by Black women, et cetera, et cetera. And there is this fundamental tension that exists between a lot of cisgendered women and this very antagonistic relationship, I would say, that cisgendered women have towards transgendered women. And so I want this episode to really be about unpacking that. How much of that is rooted in Black women and our access or lack thereof to womanhood and femininity? How much of this is tied up in biological essentialism? What is transphobia? We get here. How is it connected to homophobia and femphobia? Competition for men, because a lot of the cis girls who will never admit it, but I'm going to die on the hill, but that's a lot of what this is about. Let's unpack. Where do we want to start? I just want to say this is all part of the heterosexual agenda. This is another notch (laughs) in my belt. I am convinced the heterosexual agenda (laughs) is agendaing. It's a real thing. I'm going to die on that hill. Well, you know, I'm sitting here just reflecting on the relationship between biological essentialism and transphobia. It's just this rigid adherence to the idea that our genders are not chosen that our genders are not ascribed, that it's there's no institutional apparatuses at play in fomenting what gender we get to be. There are no social apparatuses or economic apparatuses when we know that is positively, absolutely not the case. And that's really where we find ourselves, where people are living in the world they of make-believe a little bit. And I always thought that was ironic, that it's really the cishets who are living in the world of make-believe. It's trans folk that are living in reality, that none of these things are as fixed as y'all would like them to be, as y'all wish they were. They're all very much in flux. And you can move through different cultures and societies, and you won't see genders defined in the very same way. You won't see gender roles defined in the very same way. But so often- we're moving through time. Yeah. Gender is today is not what it, or what womanhood is today is not what it was 500 years ago. It's not what it was. That's how it's not fixed. In addition to how it changes across space, it changes across time. Absolutely. In this fantasy world where gender is not dynamic, it's very static and people will protect it with violence even. Whoa. The violence with which people are willing to protect and defend these categories of gender. To me, that's how I know there's power involved when people are willing to risk harm to you by risk harm to themselves, risk consequences of enacting these kinds of violences. That's how I know that there's some power being negotiated here. And oftentimes in conversations with cis folk who think cis is a slur, (laughs) they recognize that what's being come for is their position of authority over a certain category, their position within a hierarchy, within a status, within a certain role that they, they mean to maintain as exclusively theirs. So oftentimes they don't understand their anger. 
They don't understand the vehemence. They don't understand the vitriol. They don't know where it comes from. But as folks who sit back and think about this extensively, who read on it, who engage with it critically, we know why y'all mad. (laughs) Y'all mad because y'all trying to protect power, even though you're not aware of it. It's not a conscious thing, but you just understand through all this other language of nuclear family and Black progress and Black love and empowerment. Y'all use this language, not realizing that y'all are really parasitic on the lives of Black people who don't fit those categories, who reject those categories. Can I also add something in there, Asia? Yes, please. I think that there's also this other piece about reinforcing reinforcing your social category or defending your social category by creating like very rigid definitions and boundaries around who has access into it. This speaks to this bit about how it's about power, because why else would you need to reinforce social, the boundaries around your social identity or social status, et cetera. There are other reasons, but in this particular case, it is partly about, I have to defend this social category And we can get into why Black women have such a complicated and complex relationship with the social category of womanhood, because white women do not be losing their minds over trans women in the same way. (laughs) So we'll get into that. But part of this is because I I was historically excluded from this category, and I remain excluded in an effort to say, no, actually, I can take up space here. Not only do I have to adhere to them, but I have to be a strict enforcer of the, I have to be a strict gatekeeper and enforcer of who even gets to have this identity. That's one of the ways in which I signal that I belong here in this group is that like I gatekeep and I enforce very rigid boundaries around who has access to quote unquote womanhood in the hopes that like I too can have access to the type of power <laughs> that comes with when the reality is power is not something that you as a black cis woman would even ever have access to. Oof. Shout out to the black men who are still struggling to become patriarchs. <laughs> you too will never have access, but we already dragged y'all with this. And I think that's such a good point because I think that when I first, I always knew something was wrong. But when I started to read, I was like, wait a minute. At first, I thought like it was given tinfoil. I didn't know what was going on. But then I kept reading and the math was mathing. The data was adding up. Then there was Black feminists who I highly respected who also spoke on the matter. I had conversation with my homegirls. I spoke to people in my community. And I was just like, it was all a game. <laughs> what do you it mean? Was all a game. I'm not sure I'm following. What like, I'm mean? talking about femininity. It was all oh. a game. It was all a game from the jump. Like realizing that this thing that my mother worked so hard to make sure I knew how to perform that so many of our mothers worked so hard to make sure we knew how to perform. It was all a joke. It was all a game. It wasn't real to begin with. And I think realizing that was probably the most empowering thing that's happened to me in a very long time. And I don't know, there's freedom in knowing that you actually do get to choose and you do get to pick like what your journey on into womanhood through womanhood 
out of womanhood, whatever looks like. And for Black women, especially, I think socially, politically, economically, that is such a freeing thing to be able to really like to take on. So I wish that more Black women would free themselves in that manner and that more Black women would know that you don't have to keep booty clapping, sis. It's okay. Like, I promise you, (laughs) you don't have to keep doing it. It's all right. The niggas are still going to be there. They're still going to be there. Like, you can just do you, be you, and everything will be okay. Like, you don't have to appear in the world in a certain type of way. You don't have to fight in a particular type of way. You can just be yourself and it's okay. That's enough. So I wish more Black women knew that. Even if it wasn't enough, you're never going to have access to the thing you want. The construction of womanhood was done as the antithesis to you. Mm-hmm. Like when I be seeing the girls who are like femininity this, womanhood this. Uh-uh. <laughs> I'm like, you know that all these ideas were literally like, what are the blacks over there doing? Because y'all didn't even have a gender. What are the blacks doing? We're gonna construct this other identity and call it womanhood. Mm-hmm. You were never meant to have it. You were literally, you were the opposite of womanhood. Whatever womanhood is, however it's defined, it was always defined in contrast to you. There is not enough resting in your femininity that exists for you to overcome the fact that this category wasn't created for you. It was actually developed to exclude you. So think about how long and hard a life you're going to try to live, trying to gain access to something which by its very definition is meant to be exclusive. No, girl. They out here living in the soft life and hiring femininity coaches. And Uh, I'm like, oh, baby, keep your money. Keep your money. Ain't nothing none of these coaches gonna be able to do. (laughs) (laughs) Ain't nothing these femininity coaches gonna be able to do to do racial slavery. And they are not gonna be able to undo anti-blackness. So go ahead and keep your femininity coach money in your pocket. All right. Go to therapy, child. Use it for therapy because this ain't it. Learn to accept yourself how you show up and work through all of these layers that compel you beyond all reason, (laughs) all evidence to the contrary, that this is a worthwhile pursuit. And uh, B2Me, as you were talking earlier, I was having so many thoughts and so many feelings about how you were describing like how freeing it was to put it down, put down the project, put down all this work. But part of the reason why it's so difficult to put it down is because of how much work you didn't put in, how much suffering you've already done. I didn't how put much... in a lot. Beating <laughs> <laughs> me young. She exited in a very I didn't, age. yeah. I, I didn't put in a lot. I was that one that always rejected. No, nothing. And for me, coming up and having the struggles that I had, having five sisters and watching all of them do femininity and and womanhood in their own unique ways, in addition to my mom and my grandmother and my aunts and all these women that I was around, I could see that it wasn't done all in one way, but I could also still see that there were rules. And so there was one day I was in an organizing space in LA. We came to organize like a protest or something like that. And we it was my first time organizing in this particular space. And they went around the room and they said, you can say your name and you can say your pronouns. And I was like, what? (laughs) Say your pronouns. Went around the room. Someone said their name and they said, 
And I go by she, they, and it helps me if you mix it up a bit. And I just sat there. That's what it looks like to relieve yourself of the burden. Please call me they. Please call me they, them. So I don't got to carry it all the time. I know I show up and I know that's how people read me, but when you give me the room to be they, them, and you don't make me carry it, it helps me. It helps me put it down. It helps me escape it. And so that was the day that I said, you know what, please call me they. If you can recall, if you can remember, if you can remember to make space for me, it does a lot for me when you call me they. And then for other people, they're like, no, I need it. I need it. I need water. I need air. I can't be along this binary. It's got to be they, them, or else I can't do it. For everybody, it's different. So I just feel like we we absolutely need to make room and give grace because it's not the same for everybody. Not everybody carries it the same. We have different experiences with the impact and the load and how we carry it. So I just want to lift that up. And I think all of that, like everything that we have just touched on directly feeds into why this tension exists between some cisgendered women and transgendered women, which is, I think that when a lot of these girls is beefing at the wedding, and by girls, I mean the cis girls, uh, they're really actually, their beef with trans women isn't really even about trans women. Like you're really at war with like your gender. This is really about the protection of some identity that you think gives you some kind of power, as Asia alluded to, or some kind of status in society. And like these other women, these trans women just happen to be like the unfortunate recipients who are a little bit lower on the social hierarchy when it comes to gender than you are, right? So they just, they end up being the unfortunate recipients or victims of your attempts to align yourself <laughs> with the gender identity that you think is going to allow you to, to <laughs> with a gender identity that you think is going to allow you to have some kind of like social standing or some kind of footing. In addition to this being about power, about marking your own social category or identity by excluding someone else, a lot of this is around the competition for men. So much of transphobia is wrapped up in this idea that one, you can't be a woman because if you're a woman and you don't have the X, Y, Z, whatever it is, the period, the whatever it is that the bioessentialist argument is, right? If you get to be a woman too, then what makes me special? That's one. And then two, I already got it hard enough trying to find, there's not enough eligible men. Against the, the working theory of, I think, a lot of Black women. So in addition to me competing with other cis women and the lack of jobs and underemployment and unemployment and incarceration, I got to compete with this like other group of women that I don't even think should have the same social standing or social status that I have as a cis Black woman. Like I was in a room today where somebody was like, my man's not fucking them. They keep saying to all these people. How you know? And I was like, oh, this is what so much of this is about. So much of this is about this fear that men like trans women. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm here to tell you they do. Yes. 
paying their bills, sweating them out, all that shit. They do, yes, men like trans women. And then here's the other thing, right? There's this myth, too, that it's like the small minority of men. And it's like, this tiny group of men who may be interested in trans women, but it ain't my man. So if y'all would just release yourself from the binds of believing, because Pornhub tells us different. Not the yeah, analytics, it girl. It tells us that it's not a it's not a small minority. If you would just get comfortable with the fact that, like, maybe this this head man you're dating can be attracted to both cis women and trans women, whew, child, we can move mountains. <laughs> y'all would just if some of y'all cis head women would just have you on a cis head, um, cis head women would just like get more comfortable with the reality because that's the thing, right? That's what's free me. It's okay. Well, this is the reality. Like we, the more liberal quote unquote black women will be like, sexuality is a spectrum. Do you really understand what that means when you say that? No, because you can't both say sexuality is a spectrum, but then you don't understand that along that spectrum is going to include men who like all types of women, tall, short, Oh, Black, yeah. skinny, thin, plus size, curvy, trans, cis, along that spectrum is going to include some men who like men and women. And they're not these small segments. <laughs> There's so much about this, like the tension that I feel like goes unspoken. Like people will always speak about the fact, I feel like you're attacking my womanhood when you talk, when you remove the, the symbol from the tampon box that nobody knew was there before it was removed. Did y'all know that the symbol on the tampon? I ain't never seen I it. I didn't know there was a symbol on the tampon box. There, but because watch the girls go up in the arms about the goddamn Half of y'all don't use tampons to begin there. with because those are the same women who will tell you not to use tampons because of all the chemicals and it's only use cotton pads and da 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 No, girl, bye. Girl, bye. But if y'all, <laughs> so it like, there's, once we get beyond that, once we get beyond the outrage of being called birthing people because... I don't know. Apparently, this is like the not Roe v. Wade being overturned, being called birthing people. <laughs> Once we get beyond those things, what you always get to at the deep down core is like, I don't like the fact that the niggas I fuck want to fuck with you too. Mm. Damn. That's that what so, like what the fuck? Percent, and it's like a cold game. I'm gonna be honest. When things first all started getting out of hands, one of the first things before I really had the language for it, one of the first things that I thought about that me and my, some of my best friends was talking about, we were like, we feel like it sucks to be women. We mm. hated all womanhood, everything that was projected to be we were supposed to be. We thought that shit fucking sucked. So we were like, <laughs> if you want to come so far with the rest of us, join the team says it's fine. So it be, it's it was funny because I was just I didn't understand what there was to protect. I didn't understand what there was to be exclusive your about because your womb, <laughs> man. Because I because one of the things that I thought about was I have experiences with some women in my family who were not able to give birth. So I very early on was confronted with the way that women who do not necessarily perform womanhood the way you're supposed to, maybe because they just can't, what does it mean to then exist like that? And are you still a woman? The answer is yes, absolutely. So it was, for me, I guess maybe that's a, was that a privilege? I don't know if I could call it that. Maybe it was. So it was easy for me to be able to come to terms with you not 
performing certain functions didn't make you not a woman. If you want to identify as a woman, please, by all means, join the squad. There's a lot of fucked up shit that's associated with womanhood. There's a lot of fucked up shit that women have to go through. So please, once again, join the fight. Like, the more the merrier. And once again, I wish more people would look at it like that because it would be so much more peaceful. And I just wanted to say, like, to the gender abolitionists, one reason I can't really get with it is what does it mean for a cis woman to want to blow up all of gender if trans women get to be included in it? Ooh, that's different. So if you decide all of cis womanhood goes, all of womanhood goes, if trans women get to be included, that's like the white flight shit where white people left and took all their resources. Cause <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> These are the critiques I have of gender abolition. They are like I have I have my reservations about the project of gender abolition. I wonder what it means if we say no, we're not going to engage in the project of gender roles or gender identity any further because if we let trans folk in, if we let gender queer folk in then fuck it. We're going to take our bike and go home. We're taking our ball and going home. Wait, so for gender abolitionists, trans like trans women are the turning point for the politics? No, I'm saying when... Because if... Oh, you're saying if other people... If gender I'm, abolition I'm allows other people to then say, fuck it, you're right, we don't need gender because it means nothing if everybody can get in if everybody can access it then fuck the whole thing we don't want it we don't respect it so this is like an intent versus impact right the intent of people who are gender abolitionists versus the impact they may actually have for people who are actually so steam pressed about maintaining gender binaries that they're gonna be like well fuck it i fear for the repercussions of this logic. And so I just want to be a little more nuanced. I want to be a little more strategic. I want to be a little more careful than I've heard many of the gender abolitionists articulate. That's what I'm holding space for. B to me, you still look confused. I am lost. <laughs> I don't. Maybe because I'm not as familiar with gender abolitionist rhetoric, but I, I don't know. I didn't realize that was a theme that abolishing gender now meant that there's a lack of recognition for the way people who who present or identify as one gender or the other are marginalized. That's new for me. I thought abolishing gender was more so based around the systemic ways that we're forced to perform gender and the ways that like that then implicates us like economically, socially, Oh, like I didn't, I, that's new to me. I guess that's why I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, you're right. I'm not saying that the gender abolitionists hold that position, okay. saying that cis folk. Oh, okay. Okay. Oh, oh, okay. 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 Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. 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 Okay. I see what you're saying now. Yes. That's what I meant by like intent, okay. like the gender abolitionist and intent versus like people who were committed to being transphobic ah, impact okay. upon me like fuck it blow it all up <laughs> <laughs> I'm not saying the gender abolitionists are trash no, no I'm not just... the gender abolitionists the cis have people who manipulate that shit y'all are trash so we are talking about the tension that exists between cis women and trans women we talked about 
biological essentialism. And one of the last things I want to say about that is that I think that people have a really hard time with this idea that gender is about something aside from biology. And I don't mean the mere conflation that, you know, between like sex and gender or quote unquote biological sex and gender. People really have a hard time whenever you talk to them about like socialization and social norms. And this idea that gender is really, even when we say like the performance of gender, I'm sure there are probably people listening who are like, what do you mean by the performance? It's just how I am. I was born this way. (laughs) Um, But the reality is that I am cisgendered because all the ways in which womanhood was put on to me or ascribed to me resonated with me. Not all, many of the ways, not definitely not all, many of the ways. And because I understand fundamentally that like my gender identity is nothing but gender is nothing but a social construct to me, then I know it can be fluid because I understand in in the same way in which these things that were ascribed onto me resonated with me. I know that there are people who were born and someone assigns them a gender and then they say, yeah, actually none of those things really fit with like how I feel about myself or how I see myself in the world. But if you are hell bent on this idea that gender is not about that, gender is not a social construct, this is like inherent fixed biological thing, that's how you get wrapped up in the, they can't be women because they don't have periods and they don't have a uterus and they don't have this and that, which even women who we would refer to as like cisgendered don't necessarily come with all those like biological components. And as Asia mentioned earlier, all of those biological elements eventually fade, or most of them eventually fade. So we talked about that. We talked about transphobia, homophobia, and competition. <laughs> That's the dilemma dying on. A lot of y'all is mad that your man likes likes what he likes. Can y'all stop um, being jealous of trans women, though? It is just not a jealousy, but the what? But then it it has to be a little bit of jealousy, though, because if I think that you're competition, then I think that there's something that you actually. It's about the competition for resources. What resources? These niggas are broke. Hear me out, be to me. At the end of the day, we still exist in patriarchy, which means that your status as a woman is inextricably linked to. Men. Mm. Agree. Think these about men it. are broke. Yeah, but it's <laughs> <laughs> the social status you get with being a, the, the social status and social protection, etc., that you receive from being paired with a man is not limited to just his economic position. But let's Agreed. not minimize the reality that men still control the vast majority of wealth Come in the on. world. No, agreed. I'm not saying that those things are not true, but what I'm saying so is not, that. On average, these men are broke. So what? Yeah, but on average, <laughs> the gag is beating me. On average, so are a lot of women. Pulling of resources. So I, I say all that to say this is not like a, I'm jealous of you because you look better. This is literally this. When I say competition, I'm literally talking about the competition for resources, protection, and survival. Because we exist in a system where all of those things are predicated on your attachment to a man. And so you got to compete. There's this spoken word thing where this woman was like, I have to compete with clubs, drugs, the streets, and PS2. I don't know why I remember this line. You need to send me that. Oh, okay. I'll find the name of it. It was on Death Poetry Jam. Remember Death Poetry Jam that used to come on HBO? 
I remember um, that. Yes, that was girl. that used to be good. They used to be good. Yeah, I, for some reason this line stuck out of my head. I was like, damn, sis, he was going through it. It's but a imagine you, you gotta compete with all that. And then you also have to compete for the attention, favor, protection, etc. with trans women as well. And then let's not even add in the fact that a lot of y'all have already decided that trans women aren't women. So it's way deeper than just I'm jealous of y'all because some of y'all are beautiful. I got to compete for survival with you too. You too. And it's, yes, it's her too. Look, Zimmy, I hear what you're saying and I don't disagree with you in any way, shape or form. I think that everything you said is right. Then this is just me personally. These niggas are trash. Like, I'm not even going to hold you. Like, when you, because the more that you talk, like women who are actively dating. Can I dating, ask you, does it matter if they're trash? Well, not necessarily, which is why I say that I agree with what you're saying in the sense that women will absolutely still feel like they're in competition with each other. But for those of us who there's just a certain level of trash that you're no longer going to deal with, it it doesn't feel like a competition anymore at that point. It just then feels like, when I do run into the person that's for me, then that's the person that's going to be for me. If it works out, it works out. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But this kind of like bigger thing of women in general feeling like there's all these men out there who are up for grabs and that they have to compete with other women. And now we're adding in trans women to that equation as well. That's sad. Like for me, that is a really sad reality because Black women do a lot. Like, Black women just offer it, do a lot. And I feel like Black women do deserve better. And this is where sometimes when some of the divesters will tell women, just don't limit your dating options. I'm not telling you that other men are better, but just don't limit your dating options. I can also hear them there because I don't feel like it's productive for Black women to have this mentality of we have to compete with these women, other women in general for everything. Because this fuels this rhetoric that these Black men have of this, I just have to present myself in a certain way and the women will come running. You know what I mean? It helps like the one helps to feed the other, this idea of I have to compete with all these women for the attention of just men in general. And this thing of men feeling like they have this entitlement and this access to women. They just have to do certain things. So that's why for me, I'd be like, don't compete. Don't do it. It's a trap. It's not because it then goes back to feed some okay, of these issues. This okay. is way off topic, but I want to ask a follow-up as we're off topic. <laughs> What's the alternative, right? Like when we, because I actually, I was listening to a really interesting uh, for Harriet. And I want to know, when we say these niggas is broke, they trash, but if you're a cishet Black woman who likes Black men, what's your alternative? Yeah, so my answer to that is, I don't think you have to stop dating Black men, right? The way I look at it, 
there is a whole world of black men out there. So not every black man is going to be the same. Not every black man is going to be dusty, broke, misogynistic, and full of shit. Girl, a lot of them are. That's but a lot, true. yes, a lot, <laughs> agreed, a lot of them are, but. It's, it's over 50%. So right, if you are a woman you, who is, I am interested in partnering with men, mm-hmm. because there is this really interesting thing that happens, right? Where it's, we are feminists here, it's sororities, these men are out of line, out of order, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. But. What's the alternative if you're a black woman who dates black men? But it doesn't, but you critiquing that those men suck doesn't mean that you have to stop dating those men or liking those men. There's this thing that people say about, oh, like I critique my country because I want it to be better. Part of the reason why we drag black men so much is because we want them to be better because black women are never going to want to stop being with black men, the cishet ones at least. So the alternative is this, right? Letting you know, where you're fucking up at and you all get to make the decision about how it is that you want to move. And if you don't adjust accordingly, black women have already shown you what they're going to do. They're going to keep excelling. They're going to keep getting their degrees. They're going to find and the people who appreciate them. Black men. And they're going to keep partnering. They're <laughs> going to find black men, but they're going to find black men who are what they're looking for. That's a lie. Well, now, not entirely. <laughs> Because we, we have, now wait a minute, we have met black men who embody some of the more wholesome parts of what we would want in a partnership. Are there a bunch of them? Absolutely not. But they are out there, which is why I say you don't have to stop looking for that black man. If you're, keep looking for him, sis, you're going to find him, I promise you. But it doesn't mean that you have to stop dragging and critiquing them either because they are trash and they are broke. Yeah, like, I don't feel like it's an all or nothing at all. Trust me. I don't feel like it's, no, now you have to be a nun and don't fuck with these niggas. No, not at all. Not at all. So the next thing I want us to talk about is race and transphobia. And Asia, you actually woke this up in a conversation that we were having about transphobia. And you raised this really interesting point about differences you see with white folks who are being transphobic. In the conversations that we hear in the Black community around trans people, I wanted you to just raise that point that you raised. I hope, I think the point I'm referring to. I do. And what irritated me is like, I was getting vibes that people had interpreted me as saying that white people are not transphobic. And that really bothered me to my core. This is not about who's transphobic and who's not along racial lines. This is about the fact that some people have a gender identity that is not perpetually in turmoil and crisis, (laughs) the way that Blackness and gender are thrown into opposing, contentious interplay whenever they're brought up. And so what I see when I witness Black folks going in on gender queerness going in on the LGBTQIA community, what I hear is a plea, a desperation, a fight to reclaim categories that were ultimately never for them and to create a space for themselves in their defense, in their edification, and their striving to resist any kind of attempt to change or uproot or challenge the binary. 
and to channel and to challenge ultimately heteronormativity is what I would say. And so that is really what I was naming that for black people, much more is on the line than for white people when it comes to transness and transphobia. What Black people are trying to do with this project of transphobia is fundamentally different than what white people would do. White people are so secure in their position, they're going in to make create legislation to secure the position and status of people, you know, a, a two-parent household, man, woman, and the production of children. They're trying, white people go in and create legislation, policy, institutions, projects that reify and protect and defend these positions in these categories. Black people are out here trying to establish some relationship to nuclear family. That's why it comes up so consistently and so often. And the denial about the reality that we never had a parent who stayed home and took care of family, one parent who worked. My nigga, both of us was in the field. (laughs) Okay. Like this reality y'all have of what Black homes look like, what Black relations, Black love looked like, is such a departure from what the reality is that we know. Not to say that there was no love and not to say that there was no family kinship. There most certainly was. It just sure shit wasn't nuclear. Okay, it sure shit didn't look nothing like a woman resting in her femininity. Okay, it didn't didn't look anything like that. So when Black folks are out here trying to recuperate this project of heteronormativity, they're doing so from a place of wanting to establish not only gender, but humanity trying to create a space for themselves within the realm of the human because they were cut out of that too. Am I wrong? Am I right? Well, so I just lead at for black folk to sit back and consider. I know a lot of people are going to be mad at me because they, they hate to hear black folk. That black folk were left out of the category human. <laughs> a lot of this work that we try to do from the position of people who are descendants of slaved enslaved people They really don't like to hear that racial slavery, the project, was meant to be in perpetuity. It was meant to exist forever. And there was no, there is no means uh, that we know of to restore, reclaim, redeem uh, Black people and establish Black people back in the realm of of the family, back in the realm of the human, back in the realm of woman and man. Oh no, uh, that was completely demolished with purpose and intention. And so now we're living in the afterlife of that. And we're seeing Black people work tirelessly uh, to create a space for themselves within something that was never, ever meant. And if Black people were ever to be included, it would mean the end of it. It would mean the very end. Similarly to how cis folks, cis women in particular, believe that womanhood would just be destroyed by the acceptance and incorporation of trans women. That is essentially what I mean when I say that for Black people who are interested in the project of transphobia, there is no policy, there is no legislation, there is no law that can secure you, that can place you and affirm you in these categories that have to do with gender. But for white folk, they very much (laughs) can rely and rest on the fact that uh, their relationship to gender is secure. But for Black people, no, that is outside of our reach because of what it means to be Black.
Let me not pretend like I spent too much time listening to white people be transphobic. <laughs> but one of the things that I do think is striking, in addition to the point about like how whenever you're hearing white people be transphobic, it's always about like legislation and the kids. What about the kids? The bathrooms and the children. Whenever I'm listening to black people talk about trans people, particularly trans women, because this is a nine woman, <laughs> it's always like they could trick me. <laughs> Have you been tricked? Right. The myth of cis hat men being tricked by trans women. If y'all don't stop doing that shit, none of y'all been tricked. But it's always, again, it goes back to this idea of cis hat black women's discomfort with men's attraction to trans women. Right? Like 50% of the conversations I hear black folks have about trans people, trans women specifically, is around this idea that like trans women are out there trying to trick these straight black men into wanting to having them think that they're cis women. And so much of it again is wrapped up in this idea of discomfort around black men, men in general, but we're talking about black folks, but men in general, and their attraction to different types of women, including trans women. That's another like huge shift that I, I think from the limited time I've spent in white spaces, listening to them talk about like their fucking bathroom policies that they're trying to get past is that there a lot, the conversation isn't as rooted in like, it's not as rooted in this idea of who's attracted to who and who likes who. Very much. <laughs> we trying to protect the family. We trying to protect our white children. Um, whereas oftentimes when I find myself in black spaces, listening to people talk about trans people, it's about, are they women? Why are men attracted to them? Are men attracted to them? Can you be a straight man if you're attracted to if trans, you're attracted like, to trans- <laughs> So much of it is around the competition around like yeah. men and the attention of men. And that's like a huge departure that I think I see. That's so funny. I don't listen to white people. So this has been illuminating. Oh, Jesus Christ. And to be <laughs> clear, the white folk be transphobic as hell. I, I, do, I do not mean to describe white folk as like being free of these transphobic, the same transphobic rhetoric or ideas or inclinations. Absolutely not. But I'm just saying that the project of transphobia takes on a very different form and it has two very substantially different meanings, consequences and impacts that I think that it would behoove Black cis women to sit back and really appreciate why it is that they're so caught up in it, why it's so urgent, why it's so pressing. It's because if you didn't pursue this, then you would really have no space or no role at all. Transphobia is all there really is for you in this role of gender making and heteronormativity. This is all you got is transphobia because there's no other space for you there's nothing else you can really do because it's not for you we want to talk about the fact that some of the few times i hear black women and black men align is when they want to shit on trans people i mean that's another thing right that's one of the few times that like black women are able to gain the favor of like this have black men is by being like, yeah, she tricked you. But to Asia's point, 100%, yes. The white people will be transphobic as fuck. They be more, fo- more focused on who gets to go into what bathroom and where, goddammit. But with that, I want us to kind of transition to the kind of shit that we're seeing in the news when it comes to transphobia. We talked about new people's newfound aversion to being referred to as cisgender. That's a hot topic. 
in the news. People considering being called cisgendered, a slur. It's um, offensive. It's a, it's offensive. Imagine, I'm not embarrassed. <laughs> I'm not embarrassed to do the same things that you do. That's a hot button topic right now is people are feeling people's aversion to being called cis, people's aversion to being referred to as burning people instead of pregnant women, because we know that not only women can be pregnant. <laughs> Those, I'm trying to think of what are some of the hot topic transphobic issues that that the girls and boys are up in a tizzy about. They're teaching the kids about the homosexual sex. Not the children. Not the um, children. They're Not letting queens, the drag queens. You the mean homosexual? The homosexual. What you say about drag queens? Baby? The, they're letting drag queens read to our children, <gasps> teaching them the ones and twos. RuPaul and the is doing the summer reading list. Can you just imagine? Right? <laughs> Wait, what was the last thing you said to me after the drag queens? So it's these things basically normalizing the presence and the existence of trans people, queer people in our communities is part of the transgender. It's, it's part of the agenda. Get it? Get it? The transgender. Agenda. Third eye is connected. Third eye is connected. It's, you got a paper clip. Test if it's magnetic. You got a paper clip. <laughs> so, it's interesting because people will say, I don't have any problem. Do you be yourself? Blah, 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 blah. But then it's like when it comes to including those people in regular shit that we have normalized, all of a sudden it's a problem. And I do think that it is a little bit reminiscent of the thought about including women in history, including mm. Black people in history, this hesitation of, wait a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. Are you trying to give them some type of power, validity, Represent. representation? How what? <laughs> how dare you? How dare you conflate queer history and black history? Don't you know they're two separate things? <laughs> are you black first? You see, so those are, those are the hot topic issues. <laughs> There's always the bathroom issue, right? There's, Every couple months, somebody <laughs> is in an uproar about trans people in the bathroom minding your goddamn business. What's wrong with y'all? This is really the shit y'all think about when you're in the bathroom? I just have a question. Anybody actually suggested that you should be asking people what gender they identify as they're using the bathroom. And I just thought that was so strange. Bitch, I try not to make eye contact with people in the bathroom. What's wrong with y'all? I want to fucking look you in the eye as I'm washing my hands. This is another example of cis-head black women not aligning with their own best interests. Y'all know them lines to the ladies' room be like 20 times <laughs> And y'all know that y'all could easily just use the men's room because don't as many men be in there taking all that damn long like this is ridiculous but the men's room is more disgusting have you ever tried to use a never i can honestly say i've never tried to use i've honestly tried to use i absolutely before. use the men's room y'all have used the men's room yes, yes. Of why because okay i should also say i have an aversion i think i like a slight psychological issue i have an aversion a, to public pressure a slight one like, like I'll, I, if I absolutely have to go, I'll go. But people can be out with me like for hours, and they're like, "You don't have to pee," and I'll be like, "No." 
<laughs> oh my god. So I don't spend a lot of time. I never noticed that about you. That is true. You don't. Yeah, you, when you see when you're out. like, as soon as we got back to Airbnb, though, I'd be like, I gotta pee. <laughs> <laughs> but when we were out, That's yeah. True. So I don't spend a lot of time in public restrooms. So I definitely would not be going into the men's restroom on drunk mm-hmm. nights. The women's bathroom be lit mm-hmm. as fuck. That's where the best pictures get taken. That's where I get all the hype about my outfit and how good I look and how I'm about to take somebody, nigga. There's benefits be to on the toilet seats. It's just too much. Y- yes, this is true. But sometimes it'd be hard because you can't always aim. Mm. See, you can't please, always please, aim. Carisha. Oh. Okay, moving on. Moving on. Sorry, this is why I don't like <laughs> But yeah, why are people so pressed about it? Like, I just... And sometimes I'll be feeling like, am I the weirdo? Because people are getting touched in the bathroom, Zimmy, didn't you? Isn't it like senators who are sliding their feet across the bottom of the stalls to see if they're in the <laughs> <laughs> kind of touching I ever heard about in, in the restroom? It's like closeted men who pass legislation to ban queer people. <laughs> or the, 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 men, the, the men who pass legislation to ban abortion but have mistresses whose abortions... They've paid for it. Mm. So the arguments are so asinine, right? Like the protect the children thing. The, I'm like, when did y'all become so fucking invested in children? This is the one that grinds my fucking gears. The girls in the sports teams. Oh my and God. It's an unfair event. I don't care about women's sports. sports. <laughs> Shout out to Brittany Griner. Hello? Like, y'all don't give a flying fuck about anything related to women and their athleticism or sports, their pay. The pay gap when it comes to women's sports, the shitty athletic facilities, the lack of attention. Y'all don't care. Y'all literally have to be forced legislatively (laughs) via Title IX to even let women participate. Y'all don't go to fuck any other time, but let a trans girl try to fucking run track or play basketball. And now here come all the niggas who never been to their daughter's games being like, (laughs) who don't even (laughs) want who are not interested. And just to speak about the, oh my God, what was that last thing? What was that thing you said before this thing about women in sports? Oh, that men have to be forced with via Title IX. Like y'all don't care about women's sports any other time of the day. No, it wasn't that. Oh. It literally just slipped my mind as I opened my mouth. It's okay. Yeah, but that those are the things that always come up. It's always, oh, a trans woman beat a, a, a cis woman at a sport. Okay, it's city. And cis women beat trans women sometimes oh, wow. in different sports. Oh, I remember what it was. Yes, I say it. I've said it before, and I'm going to say it again. Y'all men do not like kids. Stop. <laughs> Stop using these children as pawns. Men are not socialized to like children everything that we talk about all the things that y'all do not like children the way that y'all use children you only bring up children when a child support the child support that you're not even paying one and then the second time y'all bring up children is in the whole abortion debate and your ability to dictate and to control what women get to do with their lives. Did it's- you know that the most dangerous place for a, <laughs> a, 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 a black baby is at all? Stop it. Stop using these children as talking points. Stop using them as pawns because they're real people. Like there's actual black children that need stable homes, that need 
protection, that need guidance, that you are not concerned and about. And a lot of them are trans because y'all put them out the homes it's, because you're transphobic as fuck. And so that includes against your own children. Don't you love how it just comes full circle? The leaders, the providers, mm. and the protectors of our communities are the same ones endangering everybody. Mm. Mm. You should be in Barack! Mm. Oh my God, you should be in Barack. Moving on. Whew. This episode was a lot. <laughs> we did not do as much violence as I thought we would. We were actually really informative and it was highly educational. Appreciates it. B to me even created space and shout out to our good sister Grace. Shout out to Grace. He was in the building. We love Grace. <laughs> so before we wrap, I want to talk about our last segment where we get to shout out a bunch of dope ass people who are doing the damn thing. Who's doing it? Yeah, the person who's doing it in the face of just all the backsliding and the, just the denial of protecting our, our best interests, refusing to show up and stand up and be counted when a situation uh, directly affects cis Black women. The primary example has been Brittany Griner's confinement. Black cisgender women have been on mute and it's shameful and embarrassing. It's loud. Asia, this is the part where we uplift somebody. I, We're uplifting no, Brittany Griner while we are uplifting. Uh, <laughs> we are uplifting Brittany Griner. But we gotta demonstrate that Brittany Griner has done this in the face of the lack of support that she deserves, and the face of the lack of the affirmation and just the outpouring of widespread affirmation and support of her and her family. We love to see. Brittany Griner being as resilient as she is in the face of the disappointment that Black women, cis Black women, cis heterosexual Black women have failed to show up for her loudly and consistently. And really, there's no reason why we wouldn't. But we know that Brittany Griner is, is a lesbian woman. We know that Brittany Griner's wife is not the face that we want to see outpouring grief in the media. And so we're not seeing the shares, we're not seeing the likes, we're not hearing the conversation that we would expect to see for such a miscarriage of justice, for such an outrage that Brittany Griner even had to go over there in the first place because she could not get equal wages for her work. The same work she puts in day in and day out, year round, on season, off season, being one of the best women basketball players in the world. We should be able to look at Brittany Griner and see ourselves. We should be able to show up for Brittany Griner the way that she deserves. Brittany Griner should be home by now and we should have made it happen. But given all of these issues that we're dealing with around gender, around sexuality, around our ideas about womanhood and femininity, here we are stuck not showing up for Brittany Griner the way she deserves. So shout out to Brittany Griner. I also want to give a little ain't I doing it to an oldie but goodie to our queens and sisters from the wonderful show that I think is no longer on the air, Pose. I'm like a season behind. But shout out to the queens from Pose. I want to shout out Janet Mock for, I think she was like one of the writers or producers. Also want to shout out some of the cast members, Dominique Jackson, a.k.a. Naomi Campbell, I think is what the people call her, or baby Naomi, (laughs) MJ Rodriguez, India Moore, who is stunning, (laughs) and then Angelica Ross, oh, and Haley Sahar. 
Hopefully I did not miss anyone. I think those were the main characters. Pose was dope. I got a chance to watch the first two seasons, but I'm trifling. I don't finish any shows. People Ooh. hate watching shows with me. But shout out to those women. We see y'all did it. It was dope. And that is my reminder to go watch the goddamn last season. Be to me, anybody you see doing it that you want to shout out? <clears throat> Asia took half of what my shout out was going to be for, but... I really wanted to give a shout out to Sherelle Griner and Diggins. I think it's Aneka Ogumake as well. I want to say that those three folks have been the main faces that I've seen that have been consistent in not just advocating for Britney's release, but in just staying consistent in the messaging of just how important this is for all of us in general. I do have to say, we haven't seen any type of word from the NBA, from the WNBA about addressing these pay disparities, about alleviating these athletes of not having to work a second job, because that's essentially what it is. They have to work two jobs. For Sherelle Griner, who has been without her wife for over 150 days. For Skylar Diggins and Neko Gumake, who have been without their teammate and their close friend for over 150 days, I just want to make space for what that also means for them. And just the continued support system that I think a lot of people are starting to develop for folks who are part of the community that I think is really, really important. The bond, the sisterhood, the friendship that exists with standing up for somebody else simply because you believe in their humanity when the world doesn't. I think it speaks very loudly. So I just want to big up all those people who in the face of adversity and in the face of being silenced continue to advocate for what they think is right. And with that, I just want to thank y'all for joining us for episode number 10 of the Ain't Our Woman podcast. We have to plug our Instagram. Ooh. It's in the notes. You can find every single one of us on our IG and our Twitter. And yes, send us emails. We would love to have listener questions. And Zimmy, it's called the description, not the notes. <laughs> <laughs>